All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. You're listening to Dropping the Gloves with former NHL All-Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. everybody welcome to dropping the gloves tim you smile every time i do the introduction why i'm just excited john i love it i love have you ever the dropped the gloves in your life uh not really no have you ever been like, in a fight uh not really i've been pretty close there have been fights that started but i i wasn't part of it have you ever thrown a punch at another person's face yeah yeah how was that not a fight? It was like a, it was actually in a soccer game in high school, and it was just like a game got chipping out of hand and uh, started like a little scuffle and brawl, and no one got any good like real hits in, just more like a tackling contest and shoving and that sort of thing. But you threw a punch. Yeah. Interesting. Didn't take any fighting boxing lessons, some Thai bow? No. No, Billy Blanks. Did you learn? Like did you did you learn how to fight on the streets? Have you ever learned formally before hockey? No, not before hockey. Just yeah, growing up on the mean streets of St. Catharines, Tim. You either you either get hard or you die. That's how it worked. Yeah, but no, I yeah I did fight growing up in high school, and you know you know how it you don't know how it is. In Southview was different. There was a lot more weapons where you were at. I'd go down to Port Luzi and get in the odd dust up every other weekend for, you know, my childhood. It was fun. It was what we did. It was Why? good. It sounds like a movie. It sounds like uh, The Outsiders or something. Um, It was just a way of life. You would, it would be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You would go out and you would have a couple drinks with your friends pregame. I'm sure people still do it. It's not nothing normal. I'm going to be 40 years old now. I don't know if things have changed that much, but you know, I pregame with my friends at their house and then we go downtown to Port Luzi. We'd go to, you know, different bars, Lakeside, my cottage, Port Mansion if I wanted to feel like a creep because it was always underage girls there so we never used to go there very often mind you i was only 18 so the girls there were like 16 it was not advisable and then you know once the, the night was winding down you'd find a dance partner and you'd fight and that's how it usually would go sometimes people would find me and other times i would find people 
or you know it, it would be uh two things can be the same at the same time or uh, true at the same time we, we were both looking for a dance partner and you know we would find each other and it was it was great and that's how it worked you know and then you'd go home and you'd get your subway on the way home and you'd go home and continue uh, have a couple more drinks and you'd go to bed I wonder why, John. Let's let's unpack it. What what was it really about? <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Um, I don't know. It was just what we did. My friends would pick fights. I would. I I didn't like people. Uh, I don't know. People would just be dumb, you know. And at the end of the night, I would always be a little salty. And I just like, I just you know fought. Who cares? Anyways, I don't know why you you started shaking your hands. That's why I asked you if you've ever been in a fight. And the answer is no. You slapped a guy at a hockey, at a soccer fight one time, and that's the extent of your. And now you're hosting, um, dropping the gloves, which is ironic. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there were definitely more in hockey, but like I never played in a league where you didn't wear a cage, so the gloves didn't come off. You know, like a. How would that happen? You didn't lock uh, a box. Oh yeah, I did that once. Yep. Yeah. Once that was fun. Didn't- did not end yeah. well. No, I won. I won. But then the coach found out about it. And like we would do it. This is like during captain's practice before the coach was allowed to work with us, you know, with the, the high yep, school yep, rules. Yep. And um, and then the coach found out about it and he shut it down. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, we, we would do it concussion. when I was a kid. My older brother would throw a helmet on me and gloves and he would just beat the tar out of me. And it was fun. <laughs> and I, I was like 10 or 11 or 12 and he was like 17. I'm like, I can take you. Let's go. And he's like, all right, step in. And he would just work me. But I, cause I was tall when I was 12 or 13, I was like six, two and he was like six foot. So I was taller than he was, but he outweighed me by like 50 pounds. Plus he was like just a psycho. Like he was tough and he would just, he'd beat me up for a good hour and we'd be sweating and we'd come upstairs and we'd have a wagon wheel. And that would, that would be that. So that was a show. Was that Jamie? Your that was Jamie. Yeah. Now he's up They're- in Kitimat, BC, welding on the oil refineries. Isn't that funny? There's a um, a fitness studio or a gym or something here in Charlotte called Jamie Scott Fitness. I might just send you a picture. I'll send it next time. Yeah, don't bother. His last name's not Scott. So he's my we, same mom, different dads. So uh, I don't know if that's a half half brother or stepbrother, but he's my brother. I've known him my whole life. But yeah, yeah. he's got a different last name. But if his last name was Scott, that would, that would be, be something. Yeah. That would be so cool. But I just took a dump on it because his last name is not Scott. It's Abel. E-B-E-L. Most people would pronounce it Ebel, but it's Abel, like Cain and Abel, which is funny because he was not the good son. So he was more like Cain, who killed Abel in a fit of jealousy. Totally different podcast. All right, let's let's move on to some hockey news. We 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 had some news this morning. You know, here we, we tried. We like to do interviews in the off season. We like to line things up. We like to prepare because during the season, players don't want to do interviews. And honestly, I don't want to do interviews during the season. There's so much to talk about. I enjoy talking about things that happen as they happen. I think that's why our our podcast thrives. We give reactions. We talk about our opinions about hockey. So in the offseason, we do interviews, and we had Brad Richards all lined up. Stanley Cup champion. It was going to be great. He was traveling to the States this week, putting his kids in school, so we couldn't get it done. We were going to drop it, uh, do the interview today. And this is the second or third time this has happened. And I wonder if it's happened for them. 
like the the opposite where we were about to interview a guy and then tim checks the feed he goes guess who spit and chicklets just interviewed lo and behold they interviewed brad richards and i'm just like what do we do like why it's so frustrating. So we're, we're going to push that. I don't want to talk. He emailed me today. He's like, are we still going to do this? I'm like, not going to respond. Not going to respond. I'm a little salty. I'm upset at Brad, but we'll, we'll move on. We'll get him during the season or maybe next off season, but I'm not going to be sloppy seconds for spitting chicklets. No, no, thank you. And I'm not even, I don't listen to the, the chicklets. Did you listen to it at all? No, I don't listen anymore. But it's happened with uh, happened with Pasternak last year, and it's happened at least one or two other times. Where it's just it, so but I wonder too. Yeah, like have we poached guys from other shows, or you know, the similar situation has happened. It must have at some point. But to happen to a guy who's been retired for two years, who's completely off the radar, and yeah. I wanted to get him during the playoffs when Tampa Bay and the Rangers were playing. I thought that would have been an interesting insight because he played for Torts, he played for Tampa, he played for the Rangers. Lots of things to talk about, but he was busy. Or he, I don't know, he ghosted us. Who knows? But but to have him come on, I check your phone, Tim. Check your they're, – they're tapping our stuff because they, we're a threat. We're a massive threat to them, and they know it. But anyways, talking about interviews, the JT Miller interview, gangbusters, people loved it, people hated it. It was uh, trending on Twitter for how long, that interview? It was kind of neat to watch. Yeah, yeah, that took over uh, Vancouver Canucks Twitter for about two days. So it was trending on Twitter sports. Like, it was pretty cool seeing all the reactions. And most most of the Canucks fans were just saying how much they loved him and the way he talks and his ethic and, you know, his, his work ethic and all that. And uh, the Canucks have really are blowing this by not extending him, not offering him. They're blaming both Rutherford and Benning before him. Um, and then it was cool to see, like, once in a while our interviews sort of take off where – like different media people and, and writers and beat writers are writing about like clips and segments from our show. And so they're playing it on different podcasts. They're playing on local radio. They're writing news articles about it. It was pretty cool. Well, what do you think about now that JT, that interviews, you know, put to bed, what a great guy too. So well-spoken, just, just an open book. I loved it. What would you do if you're sitting there in Vancouver you're Patrick Alvin or Alvin. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. They're GM, but Jim Rutherford's pulling all the strings there. We know that. Do you sign JT Miller to a long-term deal? Because you know what he wants. He wants nine or 10 million for seven years. Like that's what all the players want. They want some security. They obviously want the, the mucho grande, but more importantly, they want the term. He doesn't want a four-year deal. He's he's pushing thirty, so he wants to take something into so he can walk off into the sunset and making ten million dollars when he's 36, 37. What do you do? Do you sign him to that big term? You have Pedersen locked up for two years. You just signed Besser for three years. Your captain Bo Horvat is due for a raise after this season. He's making five and a half. You got Connor Garland. You just signed Makiev from Toronto. You got Pearson locked up for a couple years. You got your defense issues. And I mean, issues out the yin-yang with Oliver ekman Larson making 7.26 for the next five years. What do you do if you're the GM there? You don't have much cap space. How do you make this work? Do you sign JT Miller? Because if you do, he will be your highest paid player and he's going to be the cornerstone of your franchise. What do you do there? Because it's, it's such a tough spot because he's a great player. I love JT. You know that. Do you make him that player or are you just sticking with Pedersen? 
Well, I guess it depends on what his number is because he's a, such a good player who does everything. We've talked about that. But then you think about, like, you look at his numbers, and last year, 99 points, it is an outlier. Is that what you can expect from him moving forward? I know he talked about, well, it didn't feel that different. It was just a matter of staying healthy, of, of burying a few more chances. Maybe you have the weirdness with COVID. He feels like he's been playing at this high of a level for a couple of years. But if you're the GM... You can't, you can't think that way. You're thinking, okay, this is a little bit of an aberration. Maybe he's more of a, a point-per-game player, more realistically, who does everything, which is still worth it a lot. But is that a cornerstone franchise piece that you want to commit to? He's 29 years old. You want to throw 9, 10 years at him. I don't know. I don't know. He also plays the game so hard. You don't know how that body is going to hold up over so many years of blocking shots, of killing penalties, of scrapping a few times a year. You just don't know. So I, I think probably most likely they end up moving him, especially considering based on what he said, they don't sound like they're, they're super close. It doesn't sound like a deal is close to being done. So probably you move him, but it depends on what the, the numbers look like. You've got a, uh, your young players locked up, but you've got a couple of guys like Pedersen's going to need a new deal in two years. Uh, Pod Colson's going to need a new deal in two years. Hoglander's going to an expiring contract. Do you rather instead build around the, the younger Pedersen, Hughes, Besser, and then those younger prospects coming up, they're going to coming off their ELCs and looking for an upgrade rather than commit to a 29-year-old player who maybe is coming off a career year. Um, maybe maybe that's a sell high, and you can go and get him uh, a package. You trade him for a guy that maybe helps your team. Maybe they, they need some defense on the right-hand side to play with Quinn Hughes. They need a little bit of secondary scoring. They need some penalty killing. Go ship him now and then get some additional pieces that help your team um, and also set up, you know, the financials just work better cap-wise um, if you move on. As hard as it is, he's such a good player. I think he, he would help anyone's team, but that's what I would do. Yeah, I'd trade him. I, I feel like where this team is at, their results the last few years, and I say it, we say it every year. We say if this team figured their self out, they would be a very dangerous team. And I meant it when we talked. I said, the Canucks have the makings of a, of a Stanley Cup contender. Thatcher Demko is the real deal. Their forwards are nothing to sneeze at. They have really high-end forwards. We just mentioned all like Pedersen, Besser, Horvat, Miller, Garland, Makiev, Tanner Pearson. They signed Curtis Lazar, who's a great fourth-line centerman. He, he understands his job. Their issues are on the back end. I think that's been well-documented. They've tried to go out and get defensemen to fill gaps and make it work. Ekman Larson was a huge swing for the fences. I think they had to acquire him in order to get Connor Garland. Tyler Myers was a big signing when they got him as a free agent. I don't know if he's worked out quite as well as they, they hoped. He's making $6 million a year. They need to figure out their back end. That's their weakness. When he was talking about the PK issues, most PK issues start on the back end. It's your defenseman being willing to do things that isn't naturally, you know, for a person to do. Who did we talk to recently who they, they, they said they just love blocking shots? I can't remember who it was, but, oh, it was uh, Ryan McDonough. You need defensemen like that who have that mindset that I am not even going to let you get a shot on net. I don't care who you are. I don't think anybody on Vancouver right now as a defenseman has that mindset. It's certainly not Myers, Ekman, Larson, and Hughes, your top three. And those guys are very skilled, skilled defensemen. They they won't be you know, mistaken for a defensive defenseman anytime soon. And then the bottom three, Travis Dermott, Luke Shen, and Kyle Burroughs, 
No, like, you know, they'll block a shot, but they're not a Nicholas Jalmerson. They're not a Radko Gudis. They're not a Ryan McDonough. They're not those type of defensemen who I think you need to succeed. You have to balance out those three offensively minded defensemen with three defensemen who are just, you know, you guys go, we'll, we'll hold down the fort here. And I, I don't trust the Tyler Travis Derman or Luke Shen or Kyle Burroughs to, to be able to hold the fort when the, when a Quinn Hughes wants to go for a skate or an Ekman Larson gets caught out of position and he gets the average, the odd two on one every single game. So I don't know. So long story short, I think you trade JT Miller. I don't think this team is there. I think their strength is up front. I think you could, hopefully trade JT Miller for some help on the back end. I think losing him up front, but gaining strength on the back end makes you a much better team as a whole, whereas signing him would be a luxury, but I, I think you have bigger holes elsewhere in the lineup. And that's you know, a lot of teams have that problem, but I think Vancouver has a luxury right now where they have two pieces that are very valuable in a Bo Horvat and a JT Miller where you can move them and get a massive return, like a massive return. You look at other teams around the league, they don't have that luxury of having two guys who are about to enter their prime. 30 years old, is he's still got a lot of miles left on him, JT Miller. Bo Horvat's 27. These guys will get a massive return if you decide, okay, we're going to build our team around Pedersen, we're going to build our team around Besser, and we're going to build our team around Quinn Hughes. Those are our three guys. That's it. Sorry, Bo. Sorry, JT. We're going to move on. And maybe you you eat a draft pick and you move an Oliver, Oliver Ekman Larson. Next thing you know, you got a ton of prospects. You got a couple good young players for those two guys when you trade them at the deadline. And you have about, let's see, $20 million to spend. Not a bad position if you're the Vancouver Canucks. That's the route I would go. We'll see. I think Jim Rutherford is leaning in that direction. I hope he doesn't do anything reactionary and sign a Bo Horvat just because he's the captain. We like to have our. Uh, I think you, you deal both of these guys. And you deal JT Miller now rather than wait for the deadline and you wait for the deadline and you trade a Bo Horvat. So that's my opinion, but it was a great interview with JT. He was very forthcoming. I, I feel like he can read the tea leaves and he thinks he's out, out the door as well with Vancouver. He, he was pretty honest where he's like, Hey, they, we want to stay there. They know what we want, but we just haven't reached a, we've reached a deal yet. And if you haven't reached it yet, it's not going to happen in the next couple of weeks before the season starts. If you were going to get a deal done, it was going to be done already. So it'll be interesting, Tim, to see what what happens between now and the start of the season. If they do trade him, if they risk, and what here's the here's the situation: What happens if Vancouver doesn't trade him before the start of the season, and they just win, and they keep winning, and they keep winning, and they keep winning, and they're in a playoff position, and they're first, second, or third in the Western Conference? The trade deadline comes around, and you can't trade them. Because you're pursuing a Stanley Cup now. And then they they entered the playoffs. They haven't traded JT Miller. They don't win a Stanley Cup. And then he walks at the end of the season. This is why it's such... You're walking such a tightrope right now if you're the GM of the Vancouver Canucks. You have to trade him now. And don't run that risk of looking like you're just tanking on the season and trading him at the deadline because you you know you're not going to sign him next offseason. He's going to test free agency. He's, he's not going to just, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll discuss it after the season. No. He's he's going to dip his toe in his free agency waters, and he's going to like what he sees because there's going to be a lot of teams who are going to want his services. So, all right. I think he's gone. You think he's gone as well? Was that your answer? 
Yeah, you're probably right. I actually listened to uh, the Canucks Convo podcast, uh, which is another Nation Network podcast, and they they played some clips from our show and talked about, you know, in more detail and context what this means. And they actually talked about the exact scenarios, like what happens if everything sort of goes right for them and they're they're in a playoff spot, they're winning a bunch of games, and you got Pedersen and Hughes and Horvat and Besser all playing up to their potential and then you lose in the first round and you lose JT Miller for nothing. And that's sort of like you kind of want to avoid that that possibility altogether by getting something for him now. You probably get a little more value just because whoever's getting getting a full year of him and the chance to negotiate an extension. So, yeah, you're probably right. I think he, I think he might be gone. And then you wake up and you're the Blue Jackets and you just let the best forward at the time and the best goaltender at the time walk for free in Bobrovsky and Panarin. Whereas if, imagine if that GM would have moved those guys at the deadline and got a return for just who knows what the return of would have been and the boatload that they would have gotten in return. But so we'll see one more thing before we move on from JT Miller, I was thinking about like how he responded right away. He was eager to come on and he, he was pretty open, you know, he was fairly open. And I wonder like what his uh, motivation was for coming on because I'm sure he knows that, the media is going to pick this up. I'm sure it like was coming on the show and saying what he said, part of like negotiation tactics on his part. Was he getting his know. message out, putting a little pressure on? I'm sure the GM might've listened to this or someone. Oh, I, I, without office. a doubt, without a doubt, the GM heard, you know, his comments. So yeah, maybe, maybe there was some ulterior motive other than just, you know, and he does enjoy us. And I, I, I feel like we're friends. So he was comfortable coming on, but yeah, yeah. you know, he, he's, Especially, he's not, he's not a dummy. The part about wanting to stay is like, hey, I want to stay. I want to make this work. If it doesn't work out, I tried. You know, that that could be his message. Yeah. And I believe him. You know, players know their worth. They they look around the league and they can see comparables and they, they can do the math. And they say, I'm worth this. Speaking of that, Boston Bruins, Tim, talk about comparables. Talk about guys knowing their worth. Talk about people, you know, negotiating contracts right now. David Posternock. He's looking for an extension. Don Sweeney just had a press conference. What's going on in Beantown, Tim? You're an insider there. You pretty much run that town. Whitey Bulger, a.k.a. Tim Wurzberger. What's going on in Boston? Uh, Yeah, well, obviously, big week last week. They bring back Bergeron. They bring back Krejci, um, who didn't even play in, in the NHL last year. So, Two huge gets for them, both at a really team-friendly contracts, one-year deal, I think 2.5 and 1 or 1.5, respectively. So um, great deals. And so Sweeney you know, spoke to the media to talk about those extensions and whatever. And during this, he gets asked about the, the negotiations with Pasternak. And he basically had said, um, he's like, yeah, we're talking, we're having the conversation. I, I'm not going to share more than that. And it didn't really seem very encouraging, especially considering that his first, like, postseason um, press conference back in like May or June or whatever, he said that his number one priority for the, the summer was extending David Pasternak. And now it's like he doesn't sound quite as 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 encouraged or, or positive about that outcome happening. And so I think, I don't know, people are freaking out a little bit. We still got another year. He wants to be here as a young kid. I, I think maybe even though it's one more season, most likely he, he is a, a fan of playing with David Krejci. I wonder if like the fact that these guys are buying into what they're doing here encourages him to stick around longer. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think he's worth? What oh, he's asking gosh. For? Well, you look at the comparables who does what he does as well as he does it. 
there's there's a few names that jump out a Johnny Gaudreau, a Philippe Forsberg come to mind, but gosh, he, he is in rarefied air, David Posternak. He is a certified goal scorer since he entered the league in gosh, I'm gonna sneeze here. Hold on. <laughs> oh, excuse me. So there's since a- he's entered the league, Tim, he is just all he's done is scored goals. He had 48 in a shortened 2019 season in a 70 games season. He had 48 goals. The three previous seasons, he had 34, 35, 38, got 40 again. The next year he he is in rarefied air with the McDavid's, the Dreinsidels, the Matthews. I think since he entered the league, he is fourth on the list for goals scored. So if if you compare it with those guys, his contract has to be 10.5. I think when you average those three forwards, they're, they're making 10.5 on average. So if I'm him and I've been playing on a team friendly deal for the last five years at 6.666667, I want to be paid. I'm not going to sign a team friendly deal. That ship has sailed. I've already done that. You locked me in for four or five years, however long that contract was, at that team-friendly deal. So now it's time to buck up, Don Sweeney. I want to be paid like one of the best players in the league. And I think when you comp him out, you look at the Philippe Forsberg contract, he's making 8.5. David Posternock's a year younger. He has a higher goal per game, assist per game average. I better be making more than 8.5. You look at the Johnny Gaudreau deal. He had a $10 million contract on the table per year from the Calgary Flames, and he walked away from that. I better be making $10 million a year if Johnny Gaudreau is getting that offer from the Calgary Flames. So if, I, if I'm him, I'm going into Don Sweeney's office, and I'm saying, I want 10.5. I want eight years, and I want to be making $80 million plus. So it wouldn't surprise me at the end of the day if he gets an $11, $11 million contract for eight years from the Boston Bruins. Like that, that seems like an appropriate number. He's number 88. Give him $88 million. And this fits Don Sweeney's M.O., when he gets a good young player, he likes them, he signs them. Charlie McAvoy, he locked him up to a long-term deal. I don't know how many years, $9.5 million, boom, locked him in. Hampus Lindholm, good young defenseman, get him from the Anaheim Ducks, signs him to a massive long-term deal. He didn't have to worry about Marshawn. He didn't have to worry about these other guys. This is another instance where, okay, this is my guy. He's 26 years old. I think he likes staying in Boston. I don't know. But it seems to me that he enjoys being in Boston. He's going to lock him up. I think this deal will get done. I would love to see the return that the Bruins could get for a David Posternock. But I think he locks him up $10.5 and $11 million a year. I don't think he takes a penny less than that. Do you see that being an issue or is he not worth that? I I am not the hugest Posternock fan. I mean, I love him. He's a, I'm a Bruins guy, but... He's uh when he's not scoring goals, he's not doing much. And granted, he scores a lot of goals. I'm not going to bash the guy, but I'm just careful about committing that much money to a guy that just uh, we've been spoiled in Boston with the Marchands and Bergeron of the world, the guys that do everything. And when a player who's who's got a better goal scoring ability than those other two, but doesn't necessarily do some of the other things, it just seems like a little bit more of an incomplete player. But more most likely, I'm just a little bit uh skewed vision just because of what those other guys have done but in terms of like what he's worth i think nine would be the floor probably i that would be a team-friendly deal probably i'd probably leaving a little money on the table especially considering he could go on the market and get basically anything he wanted but the bruins have an interesting cap situation too where they've got 
just among forwards, like eight or nine expiring contracts. And you look at Nick Felino, that's 3.8. That's going to be back on the books that he's not going to sign. I don't, I wouldn't touch him. And certainly like maybe veteran minimum, maybe, but I don't really want him back. Craig Smith, another guy. I like him. He's a good depth scorer, but probably not worth 3.1. You combine those two deals. That's $7 million in the books right there. That becomes available where you could reply, find replicable numbers at a cheaper price. So just, just to say that, the money could could work if they needed to. They got the flexibility, but at the same time, they're going to have a lot of roster spots to fill out. And this team goes from like top heavy to bottom heavy really, really quick. Yeah, the money's there. I think it makes sense to sign him. I don't know why you wouldn't. So I think it's a no-brainer. I don't know why the deal hasn't been done yet. I don't know what the issue is. I think the issue might be maybe Pasta doesn't want to be there anymore. Maybe this is a situation where he's just trying to trying to hold tight see how the season plays out. Are they willing to invest in the Boston Bruins moving forward? I think what what I like from the Pasternak situation, if I'm a Boston Bruins GM, coach, fan, he was able to produce even being taken off that Marshawn-Bergeron line. You know, that perfection line, it was perfect. They had so much great chemistry. How's it going to work when you drop Pasta down to play with Taylor Hall and Craig Smith? It was fantastic. It was great. It's It just showed me that Pasta doesn't need a world-class playmaking center in order to produce. He got away from Bergeron. He got away from Marshawn. He was playing with two players who were still really good, but subpar compared to those two other guys, and he still was a fantastic player. His production didn't dip. It was still steady as she goes. He put up career-high numbers. I think he had 40 goals, 37 assists. It was a great season for him. So if, I, if I'm the GM of the Bruins, I'm like, gosh, just I have to lock this guy up. Even now, if you pay him $11 million for eight years, you're getting his prime for all eight years. When he turns 33, 34, I think he'll still be productive. I think he's still a a good player. He's only 26 years old for Pete's sake. So let that guy walk. I don't know. And and like you mentioned, you're losing all this dead money. Nick Foligno, he's not worth 3.8. Pavel Zaka, 3.5. Craig Smith, 3.1. That's a good contract. But even getting get a note from a Thomas Nozick, a Chris Ragnar, all these guys, you add all those contracts up, that more than makes up for the, the extra $4 million you're going to have to pay pasta. And then, like you said, those guys, you, you can get a Nick Foligno for, for a league minimum for what he brings to the team. So I, I don't think the numbers are the issue. I think the issue is, does pasta want to hitch his cart to this horse for the next eight years? Where does he see this team? in eight years. Is it a Stanley cup contender or does he think he, he needs to go elsewhere to have success? So I don't know. It'll be interesting situation. Him, JT Miller, bull Horvat. There's a handful of other high end, young, young players who are in need of a contract next year where we will be UFAs. It's very exciting. I don't know what to expect. Anything else on the pasta issue, Tim? Uh, no, no, just, just a little nervous over here. That hasn't been done yet, but it, it's not like he's, he doesn't have a contract for this season. So I think he'll be fine. I think he stays. I want to see what that number turns out to be. And I do like the fact that he's going to be playing with on a second line with Krejci and Taylor Hall all season, which we saw for a very short sample size two two seasons ago. And it was very good. So I think 50 goals is definitely, uh, you know, probably his, his, his goal for the year. And, um, yeah, I think he's in for a big season. If he leaves, if if it doesn't work out, is Boston done? Are they in complete rebuild? Because you figure he's gone. Bergeron and Krejci, this has to be their last last time around, right? Bergeron's 37. Krejci's 36. Marshawn's 34. Is this the last shot if Boston leaves this year? 
Well, you got to expect too that like if Pasta leaves, Bergeron and Krejci aren't coming back, right? They might come back another season if everything falls in, but if he's gone, they're they're gone too. And so, yeah, I can say that because if you, who's your best player after that? You got Taylor Hall, Charlie Coyle, right? Jake yeah. DeBrusque. yeah. So totally, you're right. So it hinges on it hinges on Pasta because, gosh, what do you do if you're you're David Pasternak? Do you resign? Or do yeah. you play the field and go to a younger team? Because there are younger teams out there that do have money, that do have the options. Another, a good option for him. And let, let's transition over to this team. The Carolina Hurricanes arguably had the best offseason. They finished second in the Eastern Conference last year. They were a, a solid team. Well-coached, well-disciplined, just, just a great team, top to bottom. I like what they did last year. Obviously, things didn't work out for them in playoffs. They got bounced, I believe, in the second round by the New York Rangers. Tim, correct me if I'm wrong, if my Sounds memory right. um, yeah. is correct. Didn't work out. Went out, addressed some issues. Bring in Max Pacioretty, a huge get. Bring in ben, Brent Burns, massive get. Get Kasha, a good secondary scoring guy you can throw in the second, third, fourth line if, if you need. Pacioretty's out six months. How big of a blow is this to the Carolina Hurricanes? And conversely, could they be in play for a David Posternock? Because all of a sudden his six million gets put on the shelf and they have some maybe cap flexibility. I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm thinking too outside the box, but let's just go to the first question. Patch ready tears his Achilles. He was slotted in on the first line for the, the second place team in the Eastern Conference, the Carolina Hurricanes. How big of a blow is this to the Hurricanes? I mean, it's definitely a blow when you lose a player of that caliber, but in terms of like how it affects their performance, especially for the regular season or the first half of the regular season, I don't think it's that big of a deal. They they were a really good team last year without him. They didn't lose any pieces. And then they had Brent Burns in the back end as well. Like, I don't think it's that big of a deal to to you know go to the first couple of months without him. I think they'll be just fine. I don't know. I, I think it's yes, I agree. I don't think it's a massive deal. I do think him being off this team moves them from being a Stanley Cup contender to just being a very good team. I think they're a very good team. You put Pacioretty on that first or second line, they're a Stanley Cup contender. I think he just makes their team so much more dangerous. Their power play finally has that shooter that they are, they've they been looking for. Svechnikov, you get glimpses of that at times with him where he's like, gosh, this guy is unbelievable. And then it just goes away. Tara Vinan is more of a playmaker, more of a shifty type player. He's not the, the trigger guy on a power play. I don't think they have that. I think Pacioretty is that. Maybe Brett Burns turns into that player where it's just like everything funnels to Burnsy on the power play. Everything funnels to him in a, in a go-to situation. But I don't think Burnsy's that guy. He's too sporadic. I don't think his shot is as accurate that you need to be that guy. But we'll see. They, they'll still make the playoffs. Patch will be back. How fresh, how good will he be? He's a 30-some-year-old forward coming off a major, major injury. Is he going to be that impactful? I don't know. I don't know, but look at they, they get his, sorry, $7 million off the cap. Do you see them making a move now that they have that cap flexibility? Because six months, maybe let them you know, play in the AHL a little bit. You could push this to the playoffs. That creates a lot of room for the Carolina Hurricanes. All of a sudden, when you're looking at their cap space, they got some money to spend. They got six million bucks now to throw around. Maybe they make a move. Maybe they they bring in another forward to to kind of round out that forward group. Because right now, 
like you said, it's the same team. You add Brent Burns. Does does he move the needle? Do you overcome the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the New York Rangers, all these other teams? I don't know. I don't think so. I think Pacioretty did put them over the, the hump, so to speak. But if he's gone, I don't know if if they can get over that hump per se. They're a good team. They're not a great team. Yay, nay? Uh, well, no, they're a great team, especially like they're still going to finish top three in their division. And then they're going to, it's like adding like uh, a 40 goal score at the deadline for free. Like, you know, I think, I think they'll be just fine, especially with the addition of burn. They're going to be a really good team. The one question I have about this roster too, though, is like how repeatable is Frederick Anderson's performance from last year? What we saw from him, is that, do we expect that high level of performance where he's a top five goalie in every measurable category, except for maybe shutouts? Is he like, is he that elite or was last year a little bit of lightning in a bottle? No, I like Freddie Anderson. And I, th- I think he gets the benefit of playing in a system of the Carolina Hurricanes, a Rod the Bod system, where they're they're very defensively minded. All their forwards are very responsible. They don't give up many odd man rushes against. He is the beneficiary of that. You, you saw the same results that Antti Ranta took over in the playoffs when Freddie got hurt. It, it was just another goalie they plugged in, and he, he makes the saves that he needs to make. They have a good defensive core, Jakob Slavin or Jacob Slavin. Most underrated defenseman in the league. He gets paired with Brent Burns now. You got Brady Shea, Brent Petchy. Like it's, it's a good group back there. They do their job. The forwards are responsible. Sebastian Ajo, good two-way player. Koki and Emmy, good two-way player. Jordan Stahl. Their centermen are all good two-way forwards. So yeah, I think he will. I think he's going to have a, a solid season. I, I would bet that, you know, Freddie Anderson has just as good a season as a Jack Campbell up at Edmonton or whoever is between the pipes for Toronto because their systems are a lot more loosey-goosey than the Carolina Hurricanes. Is Freddie Anderson better than go- those goaltenders? I don't think so. But their numbers will be, you know, very similar because Jack Campbell is going to get 40 shots plus a game and Freddie Anderson will probably see 25 to 30. And they won't be great A chances against. So fantasy-wise, I'm taking a Freddie Anderson – over 85% of the league just because the, the, the chances he's facing. He will get a lot of shutouts. He will get a lot of wins because they're such a good, sound, defensively structured team in Carolina. That They're always like that, Tim. That's their MO, right? The, that's the Carolina Hurricanes. They'll, they'll put up the odd five goals a game, but they're not going to be the Florida Panthers. They'll, they'll beat you three to one, three to two, two to one, two nothing. Like those are the Carolina Hurricanes games. That's good. I don't know why it didn't translate over to the playoffs. They didn't couldn't couldn't really figure out the New York Rangers. Maybe it was the goaltending issue. Anti Ranta getting that much action in that short period of time. Maybe it didn't work out so well. But I don't know. We'll see if they can get Max Pacioretty back. That'd be good. He's a big loss. Speaking of Max Pacioretty, his former uh, former team Tim. The hits keep coming for the Vegas Golden Knights. I just saw a tweet. The return they got from. Losing, did you see this? So they they lost Dadanov, they lost uh, Pacioretty, they got rid of Fleury, they got rid of a, a f- few other players. I think it was five or six high-end guys they just let walk. They got more of a return on the trade for Ryan Reeves than they got from those six guys who they just let walk for absolutely nothing. And it just goes to show you how bad that team has been managed. Or mismanaged, I should say, because it's just a joke that you le- let these stars walk. You get no return for them. They patch ready, go for nothing. Data now for nothing. Mark Andre Fleury for nothing. And there was a few other guys I can't remember the names, but what a, what a mess 
the Vegas Golden Knights is. What, what a fall from grace. A Stanley Cup contender ever since they entered the league. A team that I had earmarked for a president's trophy and potentially pushing for the best league regular season ever in NHL history. What a fall from grace. A terrible trade for Jack Eichel. Mismanaging all their money. Having to give let Pacioretty walk. Putting all their eggs in the Robbie Lehner basket, which is a good basket to be in if not for all his injuries. And now he's out for the season, Tim. That just came down the pipeline. Robin Lehner, hip surgery, out for the season. Who is going to play goaltender for the Vegas Golden Knights next year? What, what, what is happening? What happened in Vegas? Tim, make it work for me. Yeah, well, they went from having, like, arguably, you know, two top five goalies in the, in the league to having zero. And now they're most Not arguably. Not arguably. They did have two of the top five goaltenders in the league. Marc-Andre Fleury was the Vesna winner, winner that year, and he was the backup for Pete's sake. Make it work for me, Tim. What are they well, going to do in Vegas? Now they have zero. Their most experienced <laughs> NHL goalie is Michael Hutchinson. They got Loren Brossard. They got, um, gosh, who else do they have? All these guys are on like injured reserve, too. They don't have Michael any healthy Hutchison, goalies. It's, it's not a good look in Vegas. What, are they, what do they need to do? And the bigger question, should they do it? Are they even a contender anymore? They don't have any cap space. I don't know. It's funny because I one of the things thinking about, like, you know, uh, uh, bold predictions as we approach the new season, I think Jack Eichel is hungry. I think he I think he's in line for a big season. I think he wants to prove something, get some monkeys off his back. But now the team that he joined is like is crumbling around him. And now how are they going to keep the puck out of that? Their defense is pretty good, but you got to go get a goal. And to do it, you have to move a roster player and you have to make some cap room, which they don't have. So they're going to get worse by doing all that. And yeah, I don't know. Are they, are they a playoff team right now? Before you, before we even see what they do in between the pipes, do you think there could be a playoff team? Oh, and it all comes down to the garbage Pacific division. Yes, if they stay healthy. <laughs> yeah. Asterix and caveat. If they stay healthy. Last year they almost almost made the playoffs and their whole roster was decimated by injuries. But when you look at their roster, like you said, they have they have a very good team. Eichel and Stone make up their first line. You'll throw Chandler, Chandler Stevenson on there. Maybe you'll put Marsh Stowe up on the first line. You got Riley Smith, Willie Carlson. They have a good a good forward group for the Pacific division. You know, their defense is, I don't think their defense is great. I think their defense is okay. I think Shea Theodore is the best defenseman. Alex Peter Angelo hasn't really worked out there. Braden McNabb is getting, you know, you think he's worked out there, Peter Angelo? I think he's Since a great defenseman. He's, he hasn't been great in Vegas. Last year, 13 goals, 44 points, plus seven on a team that didn't make the playoffs. Like that's a pretty good, that's a pretty that's good defense. That's a good defenseman. I don't. I don't think he's their best. I think Shea Theodore has been better than him. Brady McNabb, okay. I think they have an okay decor. I think their strength is their forwards, and right now, they have a massive just void between the pipes. And the problem with this is there's no one left. There's no one left to play goaltender. Are are you going to go get the remaining you know crumbs left in free agency? Braden Holpe. He's at injuries threatening to end his career. Corey Schneider, he's available. He spent the last two seasons in the AHL. There's maybe some goaltenders you could trade for. John Gibson in Anaheim, he's got a no-move clause. I don't think he's going to waive it to go to Vegas. Semyon Varlamov with the Islanders, but it, but it looks like they're going to roll with two goaltenders. They, they did that last year. I, I don't think that's going to happen. 
And what do you do? San Jose just named that uh, Capo Kakanen their starter. Do you, do you go and trade for James Raymer? Is he the answer? Reimer? Is he your guy who's going to lead you to the Stanley Cup? I don't know, Tim. I don't know what's going to happen. Do you throw an offer sheet out at Jared Ottinger or Jake Ott- Ottinger, excuse me, in Dallas? Put them in a difficult position, offer them like four or five, six million dollars, maybe try to make that work. I don't know what you do. You can't let just go into the season and say, you know what? Lorraine Brossois, Michael Hutchison, you're goaltenders and instill confidence in your team that way. This is the position they've, they've left themselves. So, uh, and I don't think Jack Eichel's due for a big season. I think he's going to have a, that's just a stinker. I don't, I don't see him being a top 10 guy anymore. I think the well, Sabres won that trade hands down. I don't disagree, but that was, that would have been my bold prediction, not my, uh, what I think is going to happen. But yeah, maybe if you're Vegas, do you just kind of go get a, a middle of the pack goaltender or, or like a one B type guy if they can find him, like an Allmark from Boston? It's got three more years of five million. You'll get a guy like that, and then you see, like, okay, just just to get you keep you in the hunt, and then figure out, okay, we we approach the deadline, as we approach you know past the holidays and everything. Now do we need to do we feel like if we upgrade our goalie situation, we can make a run or not? You know, without without committing and overplaying their hand now in the summer or before the yeah, season starts. I think you do. I think you have to. You go out. That would that would be make a, a smart trade for me. I think the Bruins are gonna go with Jeremy Swayman. He's younger, he's better. I like Jeremy Swayman all around. And Omark has that five million dollar contract tag on him. So I think that would be a good trade. Go out, get him. He's a good goaltender. Like I said, they they have a good team. If you're in the Pacific, you have a chance to make the playoffs, and who knows what's going to happen once you get in the playoffs. Do, do I really want to play the Vegas Golden Knights in the playoffs if I'm any team in the Pacific other than the Colorado Avalanche? Probably not. they got some dangerous forwards who, if playing at their peak level, can beat any team in the NHL. So, and again, another interesting situation where the GM seems to be backed into a corner, and he, and he has not a lot of options. We're seeing it in Vancouver now with the JT Miller situation, seeing it here in Vegas where they have no goaltender. Are we seeing it in Boston with the David Posternock situation where Don Sweeney really only has one option to sign this guy? You can't let him walk. He is your franchise guy. You have to sign him regardless what he wants because anything you get in return for him is going to be pennies on the dollar. Speaking of long-term deals, I didn't see this one happening, Tim. Jonathan Huberto traded for Matthew Kachuk to the Calgary Flames, signs a massive deal in Calgary. Did not see this coming. What were the terms? Why did he do it, Tim? And does this make Calgary a destination? Because this is this this completely I didn't see this coming. Yeah, it's a nine-year deal that kicks in next year because he's got one more on his remaining contract at 5.9. So he's going to be there for a decade at least. And uh, it's a 10.5 average annual value, which is a nice chunk of change. That's a lot of money. That's that's about what they offered Matthew Kachuk. I think they offered him maybe even more than that. Huberto's a 29-year-old player. So you're talking, you know, his entire 30s basically playing in Calgary. And we had kind of fun poking at the, like, oh, I picked my number for the year and thinking, okay, maybe he's not planning on staying, blah, blah, blah. People are kind of tearing that apart. I, You did get a little heat when, when he signed. You're like, oh, see, John says people don't want to play in, in Canada, blah, blah, blah. He called this one wrong. 
does this change your mind at all about players wanting no, to? No, doesn't no? change my mind. It's a known fact. People don't want to play in Canada if they have the opportunity. But if you're Jonathan Huberdo and you just went through a contract negotiation with the Florida Panthers over the last year and a half trying to make a deal work and you couldn't get something done, all of a sudden you go to Calgary and they back a Brinks truck up to your house and say, hey, we'll give you $10.5 million for the next nine years. Are you going to turn that down? Are you going to go under the free agency and and attempt to risk that? No, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, Tim. Like you're getting a hundred million dollars almost from the Calgary Flames, and you're going to turn that down and risk it? Not a chance. Not a chance in the world. He tried to get that money in Florida. He wanted to stay in Florida. He didn't get it. He didn't want to be traded to Calgary. He made that very well known. Now he's there. What what would you do? Any any sane person would take this money. This is a lot of money. This is almost $100 million. So for all those people who say, oh, he doesn't want to play in Canada, anybody will play in Canada if you give him $100 million. Except Johnny <laughs> Gaudreau. Except Johnny Gaudreau. Or Kachuk. Matthew Kachuk. Jonathan Huberdeau tried to stay in Florida. He couldn't make it work. He didn't want to risk going into free agency this offseason and have it happen again. So I still stand by my my statement. Players, if they have the opportunity, will not play in a Canadian market, making Canadian this taxes and everything that goes along with being in Canada. They would rather play in the United States. I think this has been well documented. I don't know why people get so butthurt. I'm Canadian. I'm from Edmonton. I grew up in Ontario. I, I love Canada. Not right now with Justin Trudeau. That's a whole other ball of wax. But there's a reason why they don't want to play in Canada. Yes, the fan base is great, but it's also a detriment to a player. They have no privacy. Life is easier in the United States just from a, as a whole. Business-wise, you get paid in American money. It's tough to transfer funds from you know one country to the next. The housing thing, the marriage thing, everything. It's just easier in the States. That's why now I live in the States. It's easier for me. So, yes. Jonathan Huberto signed in Calgary for nine years for a gazillion dollars. Also, he probably, he probably would have rather had that contract in Florida. If, if Florida would have offered him that deal, he, he's signing in Florida. And not for nothing, but he's a Canadian kid too, as opposed to Matthews and uh, Matthew Kachuk and Gaudreau. So that probably would influence him a little bit more than an American guy wanting to commit like an Austin Matthews in two years into 10 years in Canada. I can't wait till Austin Matthews leaves. It's going to be so great. He's, he's gone. He's already gone. People in Toronto. But yes, this does change Calgary. I think they are contenders. They have a good team. When you look at the roster, Huberto, Lindholm, Toffoli, it's a pretty good first line. Mangiapane, Backlund, Coleman. They could use one more elite score. There's not a lot of players left on the market who would fit that bill. Maybe they go in the trade trade market. The players we just mentioned package together something and try to go and get one of those guys. They What they do have, they have a lot of defensemen who can just – play at an elite level in the NHL. Not a lot of teams have that. We just talked about the Vegas Golden Knights. They suffer. The, the Edmonton Oilers suffer. They they need some help. Maybe you leverage that, bring in another forward to help your forward group, and we'll see. Gaudreau was a big loss. They haven't really replaced him. And maybe Huberdeau's replacement for him, Matthew Kuchuk. I don't know. I think they need another piece up front to really put them in the category of the Colorado Avalanche. But right now, they're, they're a playoff team. They're a playoff team in the West. They're coached by Daryl Sutter. They'll make the playoffs. They'll get a 10-15 shutouts. And then after a game, they'll go back and they'll 
order DoorDash, Tim, and they'll get a six-pack of Labatt Blue. I know Jonathan Huberto loves himself some Labatt Blue. I love it, too. And whenever I want, now I'm a Labatt Blue light guy. I'm getting a little, a little thick in the waist, Tim. So I get myself a Labatt Blue light, and I use DoorDash because it's the best company. It gets me my food and my drinks when I want them, when I want it. And I use our promo code GLOVESDD. U.S. because I'm in the U.S. of A. If you're in Canada, if you're in Calgary, if you're Jonathan Huberto, the promo code's gloves DD. That's it. You get 25% off. You get free delivery. It's a fantastic company. Tim uses it all the time in North Carolina. I've been known to get food delivered here in Traverse City. So you should do it too. It's great. It gives us a boost. It gives DoorDash a boost. And it's a no-brainer. Get your food. Get it fast. Use DoorDash. Use promo code gloves DD if you're in Canada. Gloves DD U.S. if you're in the U.S. of A. Get yourselves those deals that I was talking about, 20, 25% off and free delivery. DoorDash, Tim. What else are we talking about today? Did you see that that rumor in the report about Alex DeBrinkett and why oh, he was traded? Chicago. We're going we're gonna to do the Chicago segment now? It's so depressing. All right, let's, let's get to it. I did see that. Yeah, and so Scott Powers, who's one of the insiders there, reported that the reason that the Hawks were desperate to trade Alex Dabrinkit and they even traded him at all was not because they were trying to get younger or whatever. He outright refused to, to extend with them, which, you know, looking back at it, it's probably not that surprising. Even Kane and Taze have, have spoken out about just like not liking the direction the team is going. And Alex Dabrinkit, 24-year-old, 40-goal scorer, he doesn't want to be locked up to a team that's going to stink for the next five whatever years. So that doesn't really surprise me. Did that surprise you? It does a little just because the, the history that Chicago had the, the moves that they made the last few years to try to remain competitive. It does surprise me a little bit, but man, what, what a, what a move by him to say, no, I'm not going to resign. I see the writing on the wall and he was right and, and good on him. But for him to go to a, the Ottawa Senators, it's not. I guess they they will be better than the Chicago Blackhawks, but yeah, what? How the mighty have fallen, much like the Vegas Golden Knights. The Chicago Blackhawks were a destination. Like that, that was a team. If you wanted to compete for a Stanley Cup, you you went there. And now, fast forward a couple years from those days, they are just a shell of them former selves. They're going to ice an AHL team potentially this coming season if they trade Patrick Kane. Like this is a bad team. Do you think what's going on with the Blackhawks is a glimpse into what could happen in Boston if they're not careful? No, I think Boston is well positioned to not be set. The thing that really hurts the Blackhawks is the Seth Jones contract. I don't think Boston has that contract where it's just an eyesore, where it's just like, oof, that's a tough contract and you can't move that. They don't have that. Chicago right now, they have Seth Jones locked up for 10 years or however many years, seven more years at 9.5. That's a bad deal. I think the Bruins have a way to get out of this situation. And the Bruins have good, you know, decent players. Their equivalent is Charlie McAvoy, who is worth that contract, as unlike Seth Jones. Yes, that's what I mean. But, yeah, it's crazy how much, like, how quickly they go from committing all this money to a player, Seth Jones, and then a year later, like, it's the worst contract that they're desperate to get out of and they can't. Like, how how quickly that turns. Well, how quickly you make bad trades, and especially with the Columbus Blue Jackets if you're the Chicago Blackhawks. Well, they, they trade Brandon Saad for Panarin. They're a terrible trade. Giving up Artem Panarin 
to bring back Brandon Saad to try to let's you know bring him back. Maybe we can win. That's a terrible, terrible trade. And to double down to go back to the well and say we need a high end defenseman. Let's go get Seth Jones. And you give up Adam Boakvist. You give up a first rounder in 2021, a second rounder in 2021, and a first rounder in 2022. That first round pick in 2022 is David Yersek, solid defensive prospect. We all know how Cole Sillinger and Adam Bokvist have played. They've been fantastic with the Blue Jackets. Then to turn around and to sign Seth Jones to a mega deal and to instantly regret it and to try to trade him throughout the league, Seth Jones is a good player to him. But gosh, when he signed that contract, you heard it, he heard it here first. I'm like, this is a this is a bad contract. They will regret this instantly. And fast forward to a year later, they are trying to shop this guy all over the league. The Hawks are trying to reset the franchise. They traded everybody well documented. We talked about it here. Jabrinkit gone. Kirby Doc, friend of the show, talked about it gone. All these young guys got didn't didn't re up Strom. Didn't even bother with anybody trying to trade Kane. I envision Taves out the door if they can move that contract, make that work. Trying to trade Seth Jones, Tim. Trying to. A good defenseman. Had a good year last year. Makes $9.5 million. He makes $9.5 million. Who in their right mind is going to take on a $9.5 million contract for a defenseman who's a good defenseman? He, He gets 40 points a year on average. 35 40 no, 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 nobody's taking that contract, Tim. So oh, it's 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 not a good look in Chicago. So that's why they're different than Boston. That one contract right there. Thank you, thank you, Stan Bowman. Thank you for that. And then he just leaves. Good, good for you, Stan. Way to way to way to cripple the franchise. Love that. So, gosh, Chicago Blackhawks. It, it's it's really hard to see because I, I played there. I love Chicago. It's hard to see where their franchise is at because they have no direction forward. There's nothing for you to hang your hat on and say, you know what? This is where I can see our avenue forward. We will be a good team in a couple years because we have this player, this player, this player, this player. They don't have it. They got a couple first-round draft picks this year, next year, thanks to the Hegel trade. But other than that, oof, I don't know. It's it's not a good look. They have a couple good pieces they can, they can offload. I like the Athanasiu signing. I like the Domi signing. Those players will be moved at the deadline. They'll they'll get some good return there. But boy, they got nothing in the cupboard, Tim. Nothing at all. All right, what else are we talking about? I don't know. Have we gone on long enough, you think? No. I want to talk about the Edmonton Oilers. I want to touch on this because we're going to do an episode on Thursday. And by the time we talk about this, these players probably will already sign. But there's some rumor mills swirling. They're going to sign some legends to their team. And now I like all of these signings. And, and you always talk, you need some veteran leadership, you guys. You need guys in the lineup who have been there, done that, to, to, to kind of guide the younger players. Maybe McDavid's sick of losing. He doesn't know how to win. Who knows with Dryan Seidel? They need some guys who, have, who know how to win. And who knows how to win, Tim, better than Phil Kessel? The guy's won a couple Stanley Cups. He's done it all over all over the world, internationally, in the NHL. Rumor mills are swirling. Phil Kessel, P.K. Subban, Sam Gagne, all going to Edmonton right now. They bring in Jack Campbell this offseason. Duncan Keith retired. They re-signed Evander Kane. If they bring in these three vets, how good of an offseason has the Edmonton Oilers had? 
I mean, I, I like those pieces. I'm not that excited about it. I mean, like Phil Kessel, do you, do you give him a shot playing on Connor's wing? Do you think he can still keep up at this age? No, I don't, I don't give him a shot with the first line, but I, I sure as heck give him a shot on the second line. Let him ride shotgun to Dreinsidel a little bit. Maybe bump Yamamoto down, have the Nuge, Dreinsidel, and Kessel. I think the first line is set with Kane McDavid Hyman. They played great last year. Throw him on the second line. Maybe bump the Nuge down to the third line. It gives you some flexibility. You don't have to rely so much on a Warren Fogel. You can bump, you know, Janmark to the center position. I don't know. It gives them more flexibility. I think it gives them a, a, another piece in the power play who's a shooter. I just think it may, makes sense. Maybe he doesn't play every game. Maybe give him a couple days off. Who knows? But I like the depth. And then especially with P.K. Subban, you bump him down to the third pairing to play with Tyson Berry. I don't mind Edmonton's defense. It's all right. Yes, they overpaid Darnell Nurse. Cody Cece is laughable. I don't mind Evan Bouchard. Brent Kulak was a very low-key re-signing by the Oilers this offseason. He's a good defenseman. But adding P.K. Subban, Sam Gagne, I don't know where he fits. Maybe a fourth-line guy. I don't mind Derek Ryan, though. But just getting these guys in the locker room, getting them around the players, getting them on the ice in practice, it, it, it adds so much to a team. And I've been around these guys. I know them. They're good players. So if they pull this off, they sign these three vets, re-signing an Evander Kane, bringing in uh, – who'd they bring in? I just said it. Campbell. Jack Campbell. That's a huge one. I, I like Edmonton Oilers all of a sudden. Well, but how much better are you getting veteran leadership and experience in Kessel and Subban than you're losing in Duncan Keith retiring? I mean, isn't Dunks he was a big at- loss. Dunks yeah. was a big loss. Yeah, but I think you would rather lose his contract than keep yeah. on his veteran leadership. If you could sign these guys for league minimum, you're you're getting that plus at a cheaper value. You can sign all three the three of these guys for Duncan Keith's contract. Right. So right. It, it does make a big difference. But that's it. I, I just keep an eye at Edmonton. They could be my Stanley Cup pick coming into this season, which the people at the Oilers Nation would love. They would love that. But anyways, all right, everybody. Use points bet. We don't really have testing, anything to, one, two, to hedge or to bet on, but just get ready because the season's starting and we will be all over points bet. I've been doing my my calculations in my head, which teams I'm going to like. I'm liking myself some Edmonton Oilers, and I'm going to do all my betting on points bet. If you like football, if you like baseball, if you like basketball, if you like whatever, head over to points bet, lay down some money, win yourself some do me, and when you do, let me know because I want to know how much money you win and when you win, you do it on points bet. Right, Tim? That's right. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. We appreciate the support. Go give us a five-star review wherever you listen to us. That really does make a difference. People look at those things. So uh, do that, and we'll check you guys uh, later this week. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.